the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast, Episode 2. How do you manage those tasks which you can't control? You wish you could be completely in charge of all of them. But there are some which come from your boss, your significant other or your spouse, your kids, the government. These are tasks that it seems as which as if you have no control or choice about. What do you do about those tasks? How do you manage them? How do you be effective if your calendar is taken up with tasks that seem to come from somewhere else? Here on this episode of the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast, I'll tackle this problem with Ray Sidney Smith. And we're hoping to gain some brand new insights and solutions that will be, to use that word again, brand new, fresh, because we're doing this in real time. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast. And welcome back. And as you can see from the room here on Zoom, I have a smiling picture of Ray Sidney Smith. So let me introduce you to Ray, uh, our special guest for today. Ray Sidney Smith is the host of several personal productivity podcasts, including Productivity Class, the weekly show of all things personal productivity. He happens to be an Evernote certified consultant in where he helps executives and professionals implement productivity systems using Evernote and other technologies and he's also a Google small business expert and if you've been following me for some time you probably know that Ray has been a great help and plays a great a huge role in the work that I do Ray welcome to the podcast well, thanks for having me Francis it's great to have you because this is a I know this is one of the topics that you have been chatting about on our podcast you 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 brought it up when I haven't even thought of it, even though I've been thinking about it in the background for a long time. <laughs> but to give our, our audience a solid orientation about how the conversation is going to go, this is not like a, any old podcast. It's a problem-solving podcast. So we're going to spend some time actually defining the problem, speaking to what it's like, um, what the nature of it is, you know, how it manifests, why it's hard to solve. And then we're going to actually go into some solutions, some actual, you know, what can people do to take the problem away or alleviate it or get over the obstacles. And we're also going to be introducing the use of a bell, as we do on this podcast. The bell is when we've actually kind of hit the jackpot in a way and come up with a brand new idea. But we'll also have a buzzer. So at the end of our time together, if we haven't come up with anything new, we'll play the buzzer. So the bell is for the new stuff. The buzzer is for anything that anytime we get to the end of a podcast and we don't have anything new, we play the buzzer and say, oh, well, nothing new on this particular podcast, but maybe the next one. So it's just our way of keeping track, of keeping score. Ray, any questions about the buzzer and the bell? No, I think, I think I'm good to go. All right, great. Well, let's set up the, the problem a little bit with a story. Here we go. A young banker insists he's being given too many projects by his manager. Coached by his girlfriend, he knows he's supposed to say no, but everything inside screams that he'll be fired if he dares oppose his manager's wishes. One day, his manager sits down with him, and here's what he says. You know, I'd like to promote you and give you a raise and all of the perks that go with it, but your performance in meeting deadlines puts you in the lower 50%, 50th percentile in our department. In other words, you're kind of really average. So over the next quarter, our protagonist, the banker, doubles down on saying yes. So his strategy is to say yes to everything. And his manager notices him saying yes to everything and has another conversation with him and says, Wait, hang on. Just remembered something. Aren't you on the Johnson project? How can you say yes to this new task force and do that at the same time? 
So later on, our banker, when he's talking with his girlfriend, says, I can't believe how unfair this is. It's just not right. What does he want from me? Find out. I gotta go somewhere else. It's crazy. I hate this place. What is he missing? So Ray, the, the reason I share this story is because this is the kind of person who I've gotten in my training and I, I imagine that you may have also seen, but you'll, you'll tell us, but this is the kind of guy that I've gotten in my training. And this young banker would complain and, you know, as I'm trying to teach productivity techniques, in a way, he's kind of undermining the whole thing in a way with his complaint. Because, you know, people in the room start to go, yeah, that's true. That's exactly what it's like for me. Because he feels put upon by his manager and put in an impossible situation. Have you had a, this experience with similar trainees, coaches, or people that you try to work with? Oh, absolutely. I, I've had employees this way, uh, you know, who have confided in me uh, with regard to, you know, either business partners or other kinds of uh, folks that they're working with and for. And I, I think, you know, part of this, you know, this is really victim thinking, right? You know, this is the, the idea that you don't have agency over your own world. And I, I've definitely experienced this in, in lots of different environments. And, you know, I hope that through this conversation, we can actually touch on some of the things that if you do feel these feelings, uh, or if you feel if you see people having these feelings, they're expressing them to you, what we can actually do in those circumstances, there, there are, I think, many good behavioral interventions that are available to people. And uh, most of which are mindset changes around the work. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about some of those as we make our way through. Right? No, you, you just broke one of our cardinal rules. however. <laughs> I'm joking, but victim thinking, because some some folks listening right now, some of our listeners would think exactly what you thought. And there are some who are cheering for the banker and saying, I'm exactly in that position. And when they hear victim thinking right up front, they go, oh, my God, he thinks I'm a victim. I'm not a victim. This is exactly the way things are, <laughs> because in their world, it's very real that they're in a no-win situation. It's and there's and there's a bit of it being unfair in their world because here I am being put in an impossible, being asked to do the impossible, and I'm supposed to get better. I'm supposed to do more, and when I try to do more, I'm only given more, and then I'm criticized because I'm not doing the more effectively, and my life is taken over by all of these demands that are being placed on me. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting into the definition of the problem. But the, the, the problem is that I'm at the receiving end of tasks and I can't do anything about it. Is that an accurate way to describe it, Ray? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, again, I, I'm, I come from a very different perspective and I think this, this, it'll show in this particular conversation about the, the concept of, I, have, I always have agency. I always have a choice. There's never a time when I do not have choice. Uh, I'm, I'm not a slave, so therefore I have choice, right? And, and I think there's a clear delineation between when people say, well, this is, this is put upon me. I don't have a choice in this circumstance. I, I have to do things. Uh, and instead in, you, of you wanting to do things, you are now putting yourself in a position whereby you are saying you have to do things. And the, the impossible position you're being put in is that you're not taking direct and active appropriate response to things that are inappropriate, right? We, we have to have appropriate relationship. Uh, in, in kind of the Episcopalian word, world, they call that the right relationship uh, with, you know, with whatever your spiritual uh, beliefs are. And that right relationship with your supervisor, your employer, your spouse, partner, what have you with your children, with friends, you know how to set up right relationships with people, appropriate relationships. Uh, we engage appropriately with the work in front of us. And if we don't have that appropriate engagement as David Allen talks about, we end up having this kind of friction, this kind of conflict, and ultimately this feeling that somehow you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. I really believe that if you take your mindset and you shift it to a point of, a position of strength, right? A position, a position of confidence, because it's really a, a position of of lack of confidence, right? This this feeling of being uh, deferred 
to as opposed to being referred to. And if we can really change that mindset, then things start to change, which means that you can also press push back and say, okay, in this banker's situation, if I really wanted to uh, take on uh, more work than I would have, I thought I was doing a good enough job, but the performance appraisal is telling me that I'm not. Well, if he came from this position of strength, he would say, well, actually, with the work that I'm doing, this is the this is the output that is providing these benefits to the bank. I've done X, Y, and Z, both qualitative and quantitative metrics. And by doing so, you're getting a great value for the, the little salary you're paying me. Actually, I think you should pay me more for the same work that I'm doing. And that's a position of strength, right? To be able to have that confidence to go to your, to your employer and say, no, I'm not gonna take on more projects. I'm gonna take on the same exact projects I've been doing and I'm gonna do them really well. And I think we need to go, we need to have more of that conversation in the world as opposed to the, oh, I should take on every project and every, every task let's, now because- let's, let's walk our, let's walk our, cause I think most people, most people listening would agree. And even those who feel put upon, by by life, by their boss, or it doesn't have to be a boss. It could be a spouse. It could be a kids. It could be a friend. It could be a mother. It could be any. Oh, I should probably. We should probably talk about mothers. <laughs> with respect to this, <laughs> you could be you could be enlightened with your boss, but being enlightened with your mom is really really difficult. But let's let's start with the person who is right in the middle of it right now, and they don't see any way out, because for them it seems as if I'm being tasked and task is a verb you know in in according to the dictionary you can use tasked ta the word task as a verb so i'm being tasked by someone so when i'm being tasked it has nothing to do with my choice i am being told i'm being forced when my mom says you're coming over for dinner right that's not <laughs> a choice happening somewhere in there. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm, I, in that situation, I do not have a choice. And I have, and I had a, had a, an employee of a company tell me that, you know, we were, we're talking about setting up your schedule for the day. And she said, she doesn't set up a schedule. And we said, well, why not? Because, and she said, well, I just come to work and they tell me what to do. And we said, yeah, but, but don't you decide what order to do it in? She says, not really, no. I just ask them, ask them what to do. And then it's a really young person. And I ask them what to do next. And then I go to them when that's done. And I, so I tell, they tell me what to do. And in her mind, this was how work was done. She really didn't have a concept of work in which she had some determination or some, as you said, some agency or some responsibility. So someone like that, Let's imagine that we're talking to some subset of our listeners who are really all about doing something that someone tells me to do, that I'm being tasked to do something. So my week could look like this person's week, which is, it's full of tasks that I've been given. So how do we walk someone from that reality that they're in? What's their reality like? Let's, let's talk about that for a moment before we even get into the how. What's that reality like? Yeah, I'm, 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 so in this scenario where you're being given things, really it ends up being whether you embrace the fact that you're being given things, it seems like she's blissfully ignorant and very happy to do the work versus, versus some people who might be very unhappy with the idea that they're only doing those kinds of things. Uh, and I, I think that's really related to maybe pride or ego, uh, you know, that sense of, um, you know, I'm too good for this kind of thing. So like, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't like that. Um, concept of I'm too good for anything, right? You know, like we all, you know, are human and, you know, what, whatever station you are in life, you, you do the work that's given to you um, if you want to do it and then you can choose not to. So it really depends on whether or not she feels as though she's... Let's have her be happy. Yeah, exactly. Case. Let's have her be happy in this case. What, what The conversation I had with her was something along the lines of, you won't be happy for very long. <laughs> I don't think that was the right thing to say, but but the you know the, she was the only person in the class who was this way. Everyone else was looking on like, oh my god, this, this is this is real. And I kind of said to her, um, well, there'll come a point in your life where probably you'll want to be promoted, 
or you'll want to advance from the doing stage and you'll actually want to accomplish something that's extraordinary that you know that would allow you to move to the next level either personally because you have some aspirations of your own or because you want to make more money or you want another position whatever it might be but at that point there'll there'll have to be a switch because you can't make movement if you stay happy taking orders what do you think of my my attempt I, I agree with you. I think that ultimately this becomes an issue of the of the firm and a, a an organization, you know, a firm needs to provide a culture that tells people what the right boundaries are in an, in an environment like that. She has been reinforced, right? Positively reinforced through her actions that not doing any planning and preparation for her day is completely okay. And if she's comfortable with that, then she's not going to change. Change comes through discomfort. And so she needs to be made uncomfortable in an appropriate, healthy way so that she can go ahead and, and learn these skills. I think they're doing her, her, her disservice uh, by virtue of doing that. If, if you have prompted her, provided a little bit of discomfort for her to recognize that that's not a way that she's going to ever advance in life, right. then, then that may be the impetus Hopefully, that's an impetus for her to want to do that. If it's not, then she has that choice, right? And she can stay in that position I was, forever. I didn't think I was effective in the moment, no. So the answer is, it didn't work. <laughs> but maybe if I had more skill or more tact or more, I wasn't so shocked, maybe I could have been more helpful. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if I could have brought in other parts of her life where she clearly had agency. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't a parent or anything. She was young enough. She was 20, 24, 25. Um, maybe if I had asked her, if I had her in a coaching session as opposed to in front of a group, I could have asked, you know, where, where in life, where in your life do you have control over your, I could have asked her over your schedule and your calendar. And maybe then she would have said, oh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I sing, I head up the choir in my church. I'm the, the, the director of the choir. And I, I would say, oh, okay. Now who, who determines what, gets sung each week and then start to introduce the idea of being responsible at that level producing results being the agent um, not having not being at the effect of and being the cause of maybe i could have so if, if guys if you're listening or you're listening to the podcast and you're you, you find yourself in this young lady's position maybe there's other parts of your life where you do have agency you enjoy having it it's just that there may be that it's on the job that you believe that you don't have agency and you believe this was really intimated you know you do believe that it's set up that you should not have agency that you think this is normal and you think that this is the way your boss wants to do things that your boss wants you to be someone who just takes orders if you do believe that and you 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 you, you think it's not sustainable maybe there is aspects of your life that you could bring over where you do have agency and bring them to the job and start to ask the questions what's it like when i'm leading the choir versus i'm on the job how how is my growth when i'm leading the choir as opposed to how fast am i growing on the job what do i aspire to when i'm leading the choir as opposed to what do i, I aspire to when i'm on the job and start to bring some some of that responsibility and um cause to your work what do you think of that as well? Yeah, and, and something I, I usually use the idea of, of either modeling or masking in these cases, which is look, look to, uh, as, um, uh, what's his name? Mr. Rogers, right? Fred Rogers, uh, was it Fred Rogers? Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Um, you know, he used to talk about the idea of look to the helpers. Uh, I, I always say look to the models, right? Look to the people who you know in life have been doing this work for you and see what they were doing and how well it worked for you. And that's typically a parent or some guardian who has been, you know, as, as a child, your mother, father, guardian, they were out there doing the things to make sure that you got fed, got clothed, got to school on time, got picked up from school or, you know, made sure you made it home in the evening, had meals, you know, all of those kinds of things, healthcare, they were appropriately engaging with your, uh, your, your survival and thriving. And as you matured, as you got into later years, those were probably teachers and professors. Those were other 
uh, mentors and friends, what did they provide in terms of, of, of leadership as well as planning and look to them for purposes of saying, okay, what did they do and how did they do it? Or how do they lead their own lives? And how has that been helpful for, for them? And then asking them. The other side is to then do what I call masking. So looking for modeling and then looking and then and starting to do masking. Masking is just the idea that at any given time we're performing, right? And so there is this per perception that we're the same person all the time and we don't have to be. Uh, we can live in utter fantasy and live a fully productive life. And so this idea of, of masking, whatever you want to call it, but the idea is, is that you take a fictionalized or real individual who embodies the principles you're looking for and be them in that moment. It's kind of like, you know, what would Superman do? What would, you know, what would this individual in this particular case do? For me, that might be like, what would David Allen do in this environment? Not always, but sometimes, you know, the, the idea is, is that, okay, in all circumstances where I'm a high anxiety person and David Allen is clearly not. <laughs> and so he's a very relaxed individual and he's just, that's his persona, that's his personality. For me, I think, okay, I would be really stressed out about this particular circumstance because that's my nature. Okay, then if I wanna model the behavior, I'm gonna mask David Allen's persona in the environment, which of course gives me this sense of relaxed feeling, but also being in control. Boom, I'm done. I'm in that mindset now. I'm like, okay, if he could do it, I can do it, right? And now you're in that space. So start to think through, if you feel any lack of agency in an environment, think of someone who is well known for being in control of an environment, of a, of a space, and say, what would they do? How would they plan out their day? How would they do those things? So I think the two mechanisms of modeling and masking really help in these circumstances. Modeling is about the behavior and masking sounds like it's more of a way of being. Absolutely. Yeah. It's putting on, it's putting on the mask, right? Like you're, you're basically saying, I, I don't feel necessarily strong or confident in doing what I want to do in performing. So put on a mask, which like a real mask, right? If you're in a performance, you're on stage, a mask is a, is, is not just a shield, but it's also a representation of, of something different about you, right? It changes you putting on, yeah, costuming in any way, shape, or form. You know, if I was if I was wearing a you know a t-shirt and jeans right now as opposed to a dress shirt and slacks, it would make me feel different because I was visually presenting differently. And that's the thing that you want to do. You want to you want to you want to put on the mask um, in your mind's eye, and that's going to help you position yourself better to perform. Think about think about all of your life as being a series of performances, not necessarily in front of a large audience. <laughs> it can be an audience of, you, of one, you, but you will act different when you present yourself differently. And that means saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mask such, such and such right now because I know and my mother, she is just an amazing baker. Uh, and so when, when I'm gonna go, to go bake, I'm gonna embody my mom, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be her right now. I'm gonna mask as my mom right now because while I would screw up the measurements and I would not, I would leave the, the bun in the oven, the buns in the oven too long, whatever, she wouldn't. She would get it right. And that sense of, of masking allows you to perform at a level that may be higher than what you would normally present if you if you um, uh, you know perform if you actually uh, were were stuck in your you know um, mindset of being limited, right? Well, it it sounds like the there's a, a tip for this young lady, which is perhaps try to model and then try to mask. So if she understood what these two were about, the specific coaching, if you were her coach, would be try to pick up some behaviors and then. Think of a way of being, an overall way, overarching way of being, because you could change the behaviors and not shift the way of being, and that then ultimately it wouldn't it wouldn't be sustainable. But most people though aren't like this young lady; they aren't as black and white, where everything is told to me. They have a mix in their schedule, in their mind, of tasks that have been given to me, and some which I created. So, you know, they 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 believe that there's some that make its way into my calendar or I'm being told or I mean, I don't have a choice. And then there are some which are, I have total choice over. So they would agree that, you know, leading the, the choir on weekends and most of my job is I have control over it. But when my boss 
says to me that I must and I need to and I should and I need to do it right now they say I don't have a choice in that moment they are you know they 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 they, they really believe that I have to drop everything I need to do just like the young banker the young banker really would believe as a, as a perhaps younger member of staff that when my boss asked me to do something my my legitimate response is how fast and that's the only response no, that's a step up from the young lady that I mentioned before, because in the young banker's life, there's a mix of both kinds of tasks. But what do we say or how, uh, not what do we say, but what's it like to have a mix of both and believe that both are legitimate? I think both are legitimate. I mean, you, you join an organization and there is a contractual relationship between you and the organization. And if the conduit for direction is a supervisor or a boss, an employer of some kind, and you, when they ask you to do something, then you are an extension of the organization at that time. So I, 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 don't, I don't see the conflict in and someone asking you to do something at the same time, I can see that if someone feels somehow, you know, un undesirous to do an activity, it's likely because of there's a lack of understanding what the overarching purpose is of that, in which case you should question the individual uh, who's giving you that task, right? Like, if, you, if, right if you're question them, do I? Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not, not you, Ray. <laughs> but or Orbanco, I mean. So Orbanco thinks that, which is why he thinks it's so unfair, right? He thinks it's unfair because he's being forced to do mm -hmm. certain things that he shouldn't be forced to do. That's that's his, the, the stress comes from, I don't have a choice and I'm in an impossible situation. So those people in that moment, don't believe they have a choice. So your boss is sitting right, is standing right next to you and he's asking you to do these things. And in that moment, you're thinking of the five other things he's asked you to do. And in that moment, you honestly believe that your your back is against the wall and you don't have any choices. Right in that moment, there, there is panic. And there is, oh my God, I've got, and you, you, look, you, look, you look towards the plans you had for the evening and you cancel them because you need to stay in late at the office to get it all done. In that moment, all there is is like, is a, is a feeling of being weak. And that's awful. That's, that's a reality for lots and lots and lots of people, no? Oh, absolutely. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm telling them there's another way. There, there is a, there's a shift that you can- Hold the other way for the moment then. Okay. Because <laughs> we, we, we wanna make sure that we're, we're connecting with, with people who actually have the experience and that we kind of understand where it is. And I think there's, there's a, a, a there's something that happens really fast when they get the prompt to create a task because it, it, in in their mind they really do believe and guys if you're listening in on the podcast you in that moment you really would believe that this task is in your calendar because your boss forced it to be there you you didn't do you didn't put it there it feels as if he or she forced you to do it or your mom you know he or she is doing it to you and they're the one who they, there's an invisible hand that's at your keyboard and they're putting in dinner tonight with mom and in that moment you're at the effect of it and that's that's a a, a awful experience to be in and it's it feels i know people who quit jobs because they felt as if their boss is doing that to them or they've quit marriages or they've gotten into arguments and they stopped talking to parents because in their mind, the parent is dominating them. Their parent is making them do things that they don't want to do. And it seems as if in that moment that when the parent, when your mom is asking you, can I come over for dinner? That that's not a, that's not a request. It's not an invitation. It's a, a demand over which I don't have any control. But how, so maybe this is the time to get into the solutions. How, how true is that, Mr. Ray? Well, I think, I think it might be a good, good time for you to kind of explain to folks what time demands are versus just general demands. And then we can talk about some of the things that people can do. Great, great, great. So I'll, I'll, I'll do that. 
Um, and the reason Tandemans was created was because I had a few of these moments in my training. So Tandeman is an internal individual commitment to complete an action in the future. And there is a implicit reason I defined it this way, which is that it comes from the inside as opposed to the outside. So let's take the universe of all tasks. So all tasks are, include the ones that for some, for, for some people have been created by other people, the ones that have been forced upon you, the ones that you don't have any choice over. That includes that group. And then there's a smaller group of tasks, which we call time demands. And those are come from the inside. They are created by you. They, you have full agency over them. And they're the ones that you schedule, like the choir on the weekend. They're the ones that you have 100% control over. And what I did in my training was I said, having gotten to this place and gotten into some probably heated discussions with, with people who said, I don't have any choice, is to say that for the purposes of our training today, we're only going to talk about time demands. We're not going to talk about any of the others. So in a way, Mr. Ray, I was kind of dodging a bullet. I didn't try to solve the problem of, that we're trying to solve. I just said, like a, you know, like a magician, I said, oh, let's look over here. <laughs> so instead of looking over here, we're at all the tasks, including the ones that you've been forced to do. Let's look over here at the ones over which you have control. In other words, let's just look at time demands. So in a way, what I was doing was dodging the bullet. Because I, it would, it, from my point of view, it would take maybe a three-day course, a two-hour coaching session to get someone from the point where they believe that there's a mix to the point where they are 100% responsible for all of them because it would take too long. So I came up with this shortcut just basically to save some time. Your opinion about that? I think it makes sense. You know, uh, when, when I first read your book and the concept of time demands was explained, it, it is a clear definition that is very limited on purpose. You could, I, I know that you did that with purpose. And at the same time, you, you are charged, tasked with doing things uh, outside of you, you know, ones that you have created and committed to. Th there is a, a level of commitment people have to their work, whatever the work may be, whether that be personal work, uh, professional work or otherwise. And so when we, when we think about time demands, something that you, you know, want or will do, that, that internal charge doesn't change when an external demand, and, uh, you know, something that is tasked to you, comes into your world, into your periphery. And so you make a commitment at that point to do it or not to do it. And I, I will propose this to anyone who feels this way. That is, when you, when you think okay, someone just put something on my list. Something on your list. Right. You have just put that on your list. You could not do it. Literally, you could just not do the work. You could tell your boss, no. Now, there are consequences for those actions, right? And uh, so I, I've done quite a lot of training in the uh, negotiation space, mediation, negotiation, and conflict resolution space. There's something about and, and called the positive no uh, that that William Urey and, and and others have have uh, positioned over time. And this whole idea actually comes into play. That is, Francis could ask me, "Hey, would you like to go to the movies? Uh, you know, tonight?" And I could say, "Sure, I'd like to go to the movies." And now there's a negotiation in in play. We've we've made an agreement and we've made a commitment that we both want to do. But say Francis is into slasher movies and I'm into rom-coms, right? And so Francis wants to go see, you know, Night of the Living Dead. And I want to go see some rom-com. I can't name any. But uh, <laughs> the idea then is that that inherent conflict becomes an opportunity for a positive no. Which is for me to say, Francis, I know that you love slasher films. I'm not going to go see Night of the Living Dead. I like my brain cells. And... Uh, <laughs> And yet, at the same time, let's find a, a, a Venn diagram. Let's find overlap in what could be. So I'm going to say no, but to, to just that category of film. 
and we can come to an agreement. Why? Because there's a deeper reasoning for us going to the films together. We want to bond. We want to spend time together. We want to enjoy each other's company. We want to, we want to have that time together. That's the reason we're going to the film. We want to also have entertainment and we can find a centralized choice at some point, but there needs to be a no to a whole bunch of things to get to a yes. Your boss, your employer, your supervisor is making a bunch of no's to then say yes to delegating that to you. So, you know, most of the time, these people are not doing this in bad faith. They're not delegating this thing to you because they want to make your life a living hell. Uh, they are doing it because they need something done and they believe that you can do it. Now, if you say a positive no, that is you're saying no to the things that you know you cannot do, then that's appropriate engagement with that individual and with that work. Right, right, right. So a positive no is like affirming the, the overall purpose that we share while saying no to the specific request that, or a specific, a specific action. And then there are other options as well, in addition to saying no, which are very real, which one is just lying, right? Because you can say, say to your boss, oh, sure. And you really mean, oh, hell no. <laughs> but you say it in a way that, you know, she'll probably forget that she asked me to do it. So there's, there's all of that. Um, there's, there's putting it off. You know, there's, there's delaying. Some people would say, um, okay, we will st we'll talk about it. Um, so they, they're, they're really doing is that they're obfuscating and they're buying time so that they can eventually say no or eventually it'll just fall off the radar because it'll turn out to be less important than you think it is in this moment. So there are other ways to kind of avoid making the commitment that we engage in all the time. But where does the trigger come from, though, that creates the the time demand in the first place? Is it, does, can the trigger actually come from the inside only, outside only, or both? Because the trigger is sort of the, inst instig the, 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 the event that instigates the creation of the commitment, right? So you're going on fine, and then all of a sudden there's some, something appears, you know, like an email appears, or a phone call, or you decide, oh my goodness, I need to do this next part of the, so, the trigger could come from, kind of answer my own question, the trigger could come from anywhere. The trigger could be anything. It could be it, it, from random thought to, it could be more direct like an email. It could just be that you look outside and you say, you know, I really need to go walking later when it gets a little bit cooler or warmer. Whatever it is, but those triggers are in your life and they will never go away. But what happens after the trigger given that these are ubiquitous and they're increasing because of technology, do we have complete control over what happens after the trigger takes place? Mr. Ray. Yeah, I think, I think there are kind of multiple stages here, right? There's attention, intention, action, and somewhere in there, the time demand is seated, most likely at the point of intention, uh, but sometimes at the point of attention. And we need to recognize that these come in different sequences at different times, right? You might attend to something that is, you might find something in your focus, your mental focus at that moment, and then that creates an intention, and then you take action. The, the, the idea might be then you take action on something and something comes to your attention at the point of action and and that triggers another commitment another internal demand a uh, time demand and and so on and so forth so they can happen in many different ways both externally and internally uh coming to your attention and then of course becoming a time demand so i, I think i think that is is true I also wanted to try to kind of double back because there are there are other other things that people can do just Making sure that you know that the the number of options you have in those circumstances, uh, I, I I tend to uh, stay away from being untruthful. So I would I would want to be honest with my <laughs> employer, but I, I know that that's that is an option. But the the other thing that you can do is you can say, hey, is this not better for you know uh, Sally? at the desk over, you know Sally would be better at doing this. Uh, you know that's an option as well. Uh, also saying, you know, hey. I sit down, the boss gives me the task and I go to Sally and Sally's newer than me. And I say, hey, Sally, if you want to look really good, you should do this thing, right? <laughs> so you could actually delegate further onto other people. Uh, my, my reason in bringing up those options, and I think yours as well, is to let people know that they, they do have agency. They have control over 
whether or not they're truly saying yes to a task or whether they're saying no, if you lack commitment, then there's probably a, a misunderstanding of the motivation associated with that. We could take this outside of the work context and put this into a personal individual something that only benefits you context and say that, you know, if you want to learn the piano and yet you don't sit down to practice the piano every day, then you will not play the piano very well. And so the, the idea here is that that's lacking in motivation, except that if you step it up a level and you say, you know what, I'd like to be able to play for friends or uh, play a concert uh, at some point, then you you gain a greater level of understanding, meaning, and purpose to that work. And then tying, okay, I'm going to sit down and practice for an hour today means that in six months, I'll be able to sit in front of an audience of five, 10, 100 people and play multiple pieces really well. I'm not going to be able to do that if I don't do this right now in the moment. So we need to tie our, what is being charged of us right now, creating that that task for us by someone else right now, um, also tasks that we choose to do ourselves right now with the longer term uh, approach, right? If I get up and I go for a run this morning, I know that when I'm 80, I'll be able to run around with my grandkids in the, in the uh, front yard, right? I know that my health today the little things I do, right? Not eating that extra bit of fat, not eating that extra, uh, you know, uh, uh, extra calories that are gonna put a little bit more weight on me. Each of those choices today in the moment gives me the longevity in my life to be able to, at the end, be able to do the things I still want to do with the people that hopefully I will know, like, love, and care about. And so we need to be able to tie our reason for doing something that may sound mundane or, you know, seemingly trivial in the moment with the things that are tied to the higher level purposes that we have in life. And if they don't align, then the positive no comes back, which is, I don't want to be in this job. I need to find another uh, job. I need to find a better, uh, you know, uh, family member to commune with. If my mother is being domineering and controlling, maybe by uh, rejecting her request, so so to speak, and saying no to her means that then she comes back and says, well, why are you saying that? Why would you not want to come to dinner with me? And you say, well, you're not really asking me to come to dinner. You're telling me to come to dinner. And I want to want to be and spend time with you. But you know what? When we sit down, you're always being, you know, kind of annoying or, you know, you're just talking about the weather. You're not actually talking about, I'd love to learn about our history and our family's heritage. Why don't we talk about those things when we sit down to dinner? You know, is there shame associated with that? Is there, you know, like we get at the deeper reasonings for things. And, and this is the kind of conversation. I think we spend a lot of time on social media today, not to put it all on social media, but we, we spend a lot of time on things that are surface conversations. And if we get at the deeper conversations of things, we end up having uh, more and better relationships with people and with the things that we're doing and that makes it more meaningful and that makes it more useful to us to do right because it's going to it's going to provide us more fulfillment i think i think that gets at the at the root cause of why so many people are feeling these feelings right they're not actually connecting with the work and the meaning and purpose behind what they're doing right i think i think you're 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 giving me our first our first ding our first beep which means uh, Ooh, you hear that? <laughs> There's something new that I've never heard before. I hope you haven't heard before because I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna phrase what you just said in terms of the conversation that we just had because we talked about the 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 challenge of remembering what's important when your alarm goes off in the morning and it, it it's an indication that you should go running. So that's you on your own, right? And as you lie in bed, you have the all the time in the world to consider the bigger picture, right? Because you can, you know, sit and for half an hour, you can debate with yourself. Let's call that a level one skill because you, you can arrive at the solution that you really want, which is to go running. You could decide to go, but it took a half an hour of thinking, right? Of personally meditating on the idea. The second level could be the one with your mom, for example, where your mom says, um, Come, come over for dinner. And it's, it's not really a request. It's something, it's something else where there's some immediate consequence if you say no. And after a few times, you, you, you sort of give in. 
let's imagine that you sit down with your therapist and you bring this up with him or her and, and your therapist says, hmm, sounds as if we should do some work on that. So you spend six months in therapy. <laughs> Eventually, you kind of get to a point where you could call your mom and say, you know, mom, I want to talk to you about something. You know, when you ask me to come over and I, I, I you know, I, I say yes, I really mean no. And, and from now on, I'm actually going to say no a few times. And let me tell you why. And then you have this really fruitful conversation, the likes of which you just described, right? Where you share what you really want. You share how you, what you really feel like in that moment. You ask her what she thinks, what she wants. How can you come up with a way that would work going forward? And you have this real fruitful conversation. And you've had, a, a, you've had six months in therapy to get to the point where you could have that conversation, right? So that takes some preparation but it involves someone else. Let's call level three. Your boss is, 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 is standing behind you and taps on your shoulder and says, I want you to work on the Smith project right now. And to be able to separate the trigger from your response might take more than the half an hour of self-reflection. It might take 10 years of therapy, whatever it takes, but it, it takes a huge amount of awareness is what I'm, I, I'm imagining, Ray, for you to, in that moment, separate the trigger from your initial emotional response. And then at the same time, do exactly what you said, tie in the bigger picture and say, you know, the Smith project is really important to our department, but it's not as important as the Brown project, which my boss asked me to work on earlier this week. So I now know that furthermore, in terms of my career development, the Brown project is way more in line with my developing critical skills I'll need for the future than the Smith project. So you have at least two reasons that in a split, split, in a split second, because you have this level of awareness, you are responding no, but where it's coming from is this instant world that you've just tapped into. So you're not responding from... Um, fear you're not responding from feeling like a victim you're not responding from you don't require the, the the six months of talking it over with your therapist you're able to very much in the moment respond the way you want to respond but it's based on this huge commitment that you're able to pull on in that moment so to someone who's watching on it might seem as if you're a magician like how in the world could you keep your mind and if you Turn it up a notch and say that your boss is shouting at you, your boss is screaming, he or she is agitated, they're maybe even threatening you, and you're still, still able to say, wow, you know, if I work on that Smith project, it's going to put the Brown project in jeopardy. Is that, is that what we really want? It sounds like that's, that's, that's the opposite of what we talked about earlier this week. But it takes a huge amount of self-awareness to be able to tap into that world. And then that's why I, I rang the bell because it just occurred to me something brand new is that in a way we're asking people to take a journey, I guess, in this podcast to go from being that young lady who I talked about, who all she was doing was just doing what, what she was told. And there's this kind of inner journey that you just laid out where you're able to, at the very end of it, give the most enlightened response in the most stressful of situations that ties into your deeper commitments and your boss's commitments your joint commitments and serves everyone at the highest. And I think there are actually, uh, there, there's kind of an extension beyond that two levels. Of course. One, yeah, one, one is for me, as I think through what, what we're talking about here is the ability to say to that boss who's screaming at you, what's going on in your world that you need to take this out on me, right? Um, and, and you know, you don't have to say it in the, <laughs> you don't have to say it in those, those kinds of, of, of uh, you know, like that terse of a, of a manner, but really that's the underlying question, which is being open to having that conversation with them brings a level of maturity to the world, which is to say that, you know, uh, I, I forget who the, who the uh, Greek, philosopher is that said, you know, everyone's fighting a harder battle on the inside, right? They're dealing with their own self-interest at that moment, 
because that Smith project may not be as important to them as the Brown project, because in their own world, they're getting heat from a client or from a partner or an investor or their spouse who's saying, hey, we're late on bills and we need to get this project out the door so that we can pay our bills. And the Smith project is the one that already is going to pay sooner. Like there, there are things happening behind the scenes that you're not aware of. And if you can, if you can bring them into that level of honesty and truth and, and sharing with you, then you're able to have a deeper conversation and say, hey, you know what? I get that the Smith Project is important to you. And because it's important to you, then let's negotiate. Let's have a conversation about making that happen. Let's tie in Bill and Susan and, uh, and, and uh, Jacqueline, and let's break this up and make it work so that you can do it and I can stay on track with the Brown Project today, right? We can have those conversations when you have the maturity to say to the person, hey, I know you've got your own self-interest. I've got my own self-interest. I wanna get home to my family uh, tonight at five, right? And that's a commitment I've made to my spouse and to my children. At the same time, I wanna make sure you get what you need. So let's let's have a win-win and let's have that conversation, right? And then there's that lo level of, of maturity beyond that, which is at some point, I need to be open to having people question my own directives. When I delegate to others, I need to be prepared to ask them, hey, is this okay if I give this task to you? Are there things in your world that are gonna cause this to block it from getting done? And being open to them saying, yeah, when you, de when you delegate these things to me, I don't wanna do them for X, Y, and Z reasons. You don't give me enough detail. I don't have the resources to be able to do this. You gave me three projects yesterday and you want them done uh, tomorrow and I can't even get those things done yet. I need to have people tell me those things so that I can grow as a person, as, as a professional as well. And so this is like, the, you know, like that, that, that journey like people are taking, that's where you need to get to, right? You need to be able right. to get to that point where the feedback is feedback. You're, you're looking at it as objectively as you can, right? There's still subjectivity, right. there's feelings, there's emotions. Every time I hear a no, it feels bad, right? But right. you get a, a sense of tolerance to it and you recognize that we're, we're hard on the people, uh, we're, we're, you know, most of the time, what we should be really is hard on the problems, hard on the issues and kind and soft on the people. You, you want a relationship with the people and you want to attack those problems head on and deal with them. Conflict is about embracing conflict healthfully, not avoiding it. It, it, it sounds like that fourth, that fourth level. In that, at that fourth level, you've created a partnership with your boss or your manager. So the two of you are kind of on this journey together. So it's not just your journey. The first, the first three had to do with you and your journey. On this fourth one, you've actually had a kind of conversation where the boss is on the journey with you, or he's on his or her journey at the same time. And because of that, he or she is making progress in creating the kind of triggers that, and the kind of conversations in which time demands get made. So he or she is conscious of his or her power. So they might say, you know, he might say something like, no, I know I'm asking you to do this, but I want to make sure it fits in with your overall commitments and the commitments of the department and the other things I've given you. I don't want you to just drop everything and jump on this just because I happen to be asking you about, no, I don't have visibility to everything and where you're at with the Brown Project, but let's, let's make sure that this is the right thing. Um, as opposed to all the way back at level one, which is yes, sir dropping everything else and doing it right now, which would make a mess of the Brown project, which is more, more important. Right. I always try to do this, which is when I, when I go to delegate something and, and again, you want to manage up as, as much as you manage down. Right. So I want my employees, I want my staff, I want the people who work with me to do the same things to make sure I give them this information. But I basically want to say, I want to check in emotionally. Where am I emotionally with the situation? Hey, Susan, I'm really stressed out right now about this thing. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Do you have the resources to be able to do that in this time frame? And if I can do that every time I delegate something, right? I'm in a I'm in a cool calm position right now. I'm 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 totally cool with this thing being done today, next week, a month from now. But are you capable of doing this thing with these resources in this time frame? It doesn't matter. Every time I delegate something, that's what I'm thinking through is, okay, where am I mentally, emotionally with this? Why am I asking you to do this? What is the thing I want you to do? Do you have the resources to do it in the time frame that I've given it to you? And if we can have that level of maturity of both 
when we delegate, but also when we're being delegated to, when we are being tasked to do something, then we we become in right relationship with that. Because to be quite honest, you know, if you know, I've been in many positions as an employee where you know the boss comes in and they give you more work and then they give you more work right who 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 do you give work to the the busiest person in the office right the person who's already doing uh, everything yes exactly and so you know my my job is actually to say to them hey i'm going to fail if you do not understand the other things i have on my plate right and you know in, in my background where I was in a litigation environment and, you know, in, in, in that legal space, I would say, we're going to miss filing deadlines if you keep putting things on my plate. So there are these other externalities that you need to give this to some other, some other person in the office who can make these filing deadlines because I can't get this done in, the, in that time frame, And I have boundaries. Uh, you know, I'm not going to stay here till midnight for the next five nights so that you can bill a, a couple extra hours to clients. So let's make this, let's make this right. And, you know, I'm a different individual. I, I you know, I have a certain sense of, of personality. So I'm, I'm comfortable with pushing back very quickly and easily. You may not be, and I, I get that. But at the same time, you do need to have in your own way that level of confidence building activity to to have that conversation with with people because in in a way i always say use is 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 okay i use utensils i use people i use things right use is not a problem we are all utility in some way shape or form but to abuse you know adding that ab to use abusing people is not cool right and when you are being abused that is where the problem comes into play and we need to be able to understand the difference between use and abuse and then knowing how to counteract that effectively right and in the world of time demands we're we're we, we've described four steps i'm going to sort of wrap us up by saying we we've, we've developed a four-step framework <laughs> it's not that fancy but we did talk about four steps so the first step is in, is the one in which you have no time demands. You're you're not the agent for anything. You're you're being told what to do, and your boss and your parents and life life dictates to you what you should do, and all you do is respond. That was the young lady that I mentioned before, the unusual young lady. That's sort of level one. Level two is the banker, who we described at the beginning of beginning of the podcast. Someone who has a mix of commitments that he's generated and some that he thinks come from someone else. So he has a kind of a mix and he's fighting between the two. He obviously wants more of the former, less of the latter, but doesn't know how to get there. The third level is sort of that developed person who sees all of their tasks as time demands. So there's a one-to-one -one match, 100%. I'm the agent of all of my tasks. Yes, there's triggers happening all over my environment. And sometimes I may not respond well, and sometimes I may forget, but Ultimately, I'm the one who makes the commitment. No one can make the commitment for me. So that's level three. And then we even define the level four, where you are shaping your environment, your relationship, for example, with your mother or your manager. And together you're on a path of always trying to find the very best commitments to make. And you have a what you call the right relationship. You have the right relationship with these people so that as soon as a trigger comes into your joint world from any direction, you are jointly committing in a way that serves the interests of as most as possible. How's that for a four-step framework? You know, methodical logic uh, sense, uh, I think is, is really good for people to be able to use. Great, great. All right, so I'm going to close out our time with you, Ray. Um, guys, keep listening because I'm, we're going to, I'm going to have some closing, closing comments after the closeout music. But before I do that, I want to thank Ray. Ray, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. We got a few dings, which tells me that we came up with some new stuff that didn't exist before, which makes me real happy. Because <laughs> that's the purpose of our podcast. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great. So keep listening. There's more coming up in just a moment. Here's a clip from our next episode. 
when your task management system fails, you may feel a sense of, of letdown. You wanted it to work perfectly, but here you are looking at a reality you never intended. Most of us would feel some negative emotions like guilt or shame. But there's another approach to take altogether, which is based on a new way to think about these failures. What if there were a way to be empowered rather than defeated that has nothing to do with positive thinking? And if you want to leave a comment about this episode or any aspect of the work that we're doing here at the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast, you can go over to www.replytofrancis.info and send me either a message uh, by text or send me a voice message, a voice note. And as you probably know, we have a couple of places that you can interact with other people, talk about this episode. One is at the community, mightytaskers.scheduleu.org, and you'll see the link in the show notes. And the other, of course, is our upcoming Task Management and Time Blocking Summit coming up in March. Two outstanding opportunities to interact with other people about the ideas that you've heard on this podcast or any of our episodes that are coming up. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing, I invite you to click on the Patreon link below to make a donation. And please don't forget to like our show and recommend it to others on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whatever past podcast, app, or service you're using. This is Francis Wade. I'm signing out. I hope to see you on a future episode. And until then, take care and all the best. See you later.